All right, we are ready for what would Jesus undo, the conclusion. And this is a takeoff on the series or the question, what would Jesus do, if you're familiar with that one. We're doing a takeoff on it. What would Jesus undo? And we've looked at what would Jesus undo. He would undo apathy or indifference. He would undo hollow worship. He would undo hypocrisy. And today we're looking at how he would undo spiritual pride. Spiritual pride. You want to put that title up there? You almost caught up with us? All right. Now, um, we're going to begin kind of a fun way. We've spent every night with kids, and uh, we're just energized by their smiles and their laughter, and so I've got a balloon. You can barely see it. Balloons are fun things. I mean, we, they're really designed for celebration, are they not? And yet, uh, as we're creating these balloons for celebration, um, we need to think about how balloons are a lot like us. Now, you're going to have to think about that for a bit. Uh, we're created and designed for celebration, but that's not all the things that we do all of the time. And um, maybe you don't think like me, but I think of a balloon as, it's kind of like a skin bag. What's, in, what's inside makes it valuable. And uh, so it's like nothing right now. And you can blow it up for celebration. I should have practiced this. In fact, I did practice this. And this balloon is a little bit like me, sometimes. Um, it's full of self. And sometimes we're a little too full of self, right? How, be prepared for this. How, how full of self can you get? Oh, some of you are already preparing, because I've got a microphone right here. Can you get this full of self? And we talk about how this is a lot like us, you know, it's designed for celebration, but sometimes it's used for other things. And it's irritating. And so even though we're designed for celebration, we are irritating. Right? So, and, and yet, what it's designed for is celebration. And yet, even still, we kind of go full of self. Now you know why I didn't practice very often. <laughs> now, <clears throat> with that, I want to ask you a question. Who said this on the screen? Who said this? All those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. We just watched an illustration of how a balloon is like us, designed for celebration, and yet as it's full of self, full of self, and too full of self, something happened. All right, I'll give you one shot all at once. Who said this? Now, here's a harder question. What was the occasion? Why did he say this? And where did he say this? And what was the context in which he says this? I mean, I think it's a general truth. It's a lot like the proverb. It says, um, pride comes before destruction and haughtiness before the fall. A wise person, Solomon, writes that out. And Jesus, wiser still, I think he's the wisest man that ever lived. He's the smartest man that ever lived. He says, all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. 
Now, <clears throat> that's one way that the balloon illustrates self. Sometimes I'm not like that. Sometimes I'm like this. I don't know if you can see that from there. I took a sharp pencil and put it right through the balloon. And now the design has a flaw. And you can see that it doesn't work. And sometimes it's really hard to figure out what's wrong. It's like it should be working. And yet sometimes it's pretty easy to put your finger on the flaw. You know, it's like a gaping flaw and you can put your finger right on the problem. We fall so far short of our design that the celebration aspect sometimes is just not coming through. Now, I want you to think about that as I believe an enemy looks at us and sees nothing but skin bags, and yet God has created us for more. And what is it that has to happen before we're really living up to our created design? And I believe that, in a sense, every single one of us has still got a lot of room to grow in the right way, filled with the right things, so that we are living life by design. I love how Jesus prayed for us that we'd receive the full measure of his joy. And if Jesus prayed for it, I believe it's available to us, and we're to live out that answer, that celebration, where we're living out the full measure of his joy. And yet, there's some things here that we need to work on. Now, the context of that quote is the conclusion to a story that Jesus told. I want to give you a quick preview of the story before we go into the story's detail. The story is a simple one. Jesus tells a goodbye, a goodbye, good guy, bad guy story, and then how these two guys, a little bit like these two balloons, these two guys came to the same place for the same purpose, and in coming to the same place for the same purpose, only one of them walked away satisfied. The details of the story are about a Pharisee and a tax collector. A Pharisee is the good guy in their culture. The tax collector was boo, hiss, bad guy in their culture. And they both go to the temple to pray, which by itself is a surprise. And then Jesus tells a story about their prayers in comparison, contrast, good guy, bad guy, and comes up with a surprise ending for a particular purpose that surprises the audience of his day. Those of us who are familiar with the Gospels are no longer surprised, but we need to be a little bit surprised to understand this story and to get a hold of the powerful truths that are embedded in this simple story that Jesus told. And so we jump into Luke chapter 18. It begins at verse 9 this way. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else. So let's stop there for a second. Leave that on the screen. To some who were confident of their own righteousness. Now you already understand that we're talking about spiritual pride. And here's a description. Confident of their own righteousness. And generally when Jesus tells a story, the audience is the general audience. 
the people who are the crowd. And yet this time, Luke in advance tells us who he's targeting this story to, to some who were confident of their own righteousness. And that's who the story is specifically targeted to. It's not a person. It's a particular kind of person. And so if the shoe fits, you should see yourself in the story. Now, interestingly, the general audience should be able to see themselves in either the good, good guy or bad guy, but we're surprised by the comparison. And we need to see ourselves in the story. And that's where this is going. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. And he begins to talk about the ones who were spiritually prideful, confident, standing upright before God and before people. And here's how the story begins. Verse 10. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Let's just review, if you're new to these cultural, time-sensitive labels, we kind of need to understand them because we don't have these in the same way in our culture. In fact, Pharisees did not exist in the Old Testament culture. Pharisees did not exist until the intertestamental period when they came into existence as a subset of the leadership of Judaism. And they were very conservative, very righteous. They became the good guys in their culture because they wanted to elevate a nation gone wrong to a place where they looked to God again instead of to idols. They were judged repeatedly in history with a pervasive cultural idolatry that crept into a nation that God had chosen to worship him and celebrate him, and yet they had gone so badly that this conservative element began to uphold the law with rigor, and they were successful because as a whole, the nation in the time frame of the Pharisees were no longer prone to idolatry. They saw it as oh, horrible, horrible, whereas before in their history, it was the culturally acceptable thing because all the other nations did it, they were doing it too, and now they have swung the pendulum the other direction. It was Pharisees in large part doing this as they elevated the prominence of the Mosaic law. Now, you need to understand, when I say elevated the prominence of the Mosaic law, they studied it. They were experts in the law. I mean, to the degree that before they were 12, a lot of them had memorized the Pentateuch. That means Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And they didn't memorize the labels of the books, be able to say it in order, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy. They memorized the entire contents of the books by age 12 and could recite the five books of the Torah, Moses. And if you punched a hole through the scroll and took out a section, they could read through and fill in all the blanks that were created. They were dedicated to knowing God's word. These were the good guys. And they had done so much for their culture. But something happened. 
Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. We're going to focus in on the Pharisees a little bit more, but first a little bit about tax collector. A tax collector, we have a hard time getting a hold of how bad the bad guy was for an equivalent in our culture because he betrayed the entire nation. He was a Jew who began to take taxes from his own people and give them to the enemy who was dominating them, the Romans, and the Romans employed them to such a degree that you can ask for whatever taxes you think you can get out of them. We need this amount, so if you extort more than that, you can keep it. And so greed and betrayal marked them as a bad guy, and they knew it. So it's hard to come up with a modern equivalent for that. For either one of these, can you come up with modern equivalents? Not very well. Very, very elite in the one hand, very bad. Maybe in the neighborhood, a person who grew up in the neighborhood and saw how devastating that never, devastated the neighborhood was by the drug clientele, becoming a drug pusher himself to take advantage of his own brothers and sisters and neighbors, maybe that would come close, but not even come close to that description, Pharisee versus tax collector. Let's keep reading. Verses 11 through 12. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed. Some translation said, stood and prayed to himself. But let's just stay with, the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed. Listen to this prayer. God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. Now he starts out, God, I thank you. That should be celebration. I celebrate you. I thank you. But who is he celebrating here? he's so full of himself. Something sounds wrong with this prayer. And so, I mean, there is this ambiguity in the text that some translators actually say, and the Pharisee stood by himself to pray to himself. You know, Pharisee stood to pray to himself. It's like, that's kind of what he's doing. I celebrate the fact that I'm not like them. And so something has happened here. It's a spiritual filter that is flipped inside of him And this is the best way I know how to put it in uh, just a quick slide for your uh, consideration here. Instead of seeing all of the good things in his life as a gift from God, he somehow began to think of all of the good things in his life as a gift to God. And so this is spiritual pride. When you start to look at all of the great things that God has given you and begin to Flip the filter to see it as all the great things that you are doing for God as opposed to receiving from him. Before we start judging the Pharisee too harshly, we need to see ourselves in the mirror because I started out with sometimes I'm too much like this balloon full of myself, <laughs> right? That's, and sometimes we're like the Pharisee in the same regard. This filter can flip the switch inside of us also so that it goes something like this. You're welcome, God. We come to church and we see all the awesome things God is doing in and through the relationships and people are, their lives are being changed. We hear the stories and we come to church and we say, you're you're welcome, God. Aren't you glad I came today? Uh, That sounds funny, but some people really see the fact that they came as, I scored. God, are you paying attention? I'm here today. You're welcome. 
And it's like, really? We just flipped it from, it's, this is a grace, this thing where we get together and experience the powerful presence of God in our midst and see stories of lives being changed from darkness to light and the transformation that takes place right before our eyes and we see it even in ourselves and we come together and, it's, it's, and we carry the needs and see that it's rather than, how could we say, aren't you glad I came today? We've somehow flipped it. Or maybe we get into the place where, um, you're welcome, God. I brought my kids today. And rather than seeing the kids as this incredible treasure, gift that God has given us, not just the gift of the children to be um, parents to and responsible for, but we flip it to think, we're so awesome. I'm, so, I'm such an awesome parent, and look, I brought my kids today, and I'm bringing kids to church today. All of this are, these are gifts that come to us, and we have to be careful of that filter. Or how about this? We leave a, a, a sizable, or maybe just any gift in the offering, in the offering boxes, and we go, God, you're welcome. Look at me. I gave you this. And God says, no, I gave you that. I gave you all of that. This is a reminder that I gave you that. You're flipping it and thinking, ah, I gave today. God says, that's supposed to remind you that I always provide. I give to you. You're designed for celebration. And we tend to do this kind of thing in spiritual pride. So pride has many aims, but here's uh, three aims of pride quickly on the screen. Self-sufficiency, I've got this, I can handle this. Self-importance, I have value because I, I own this, I drive this, I wear this, I have this purse, I, I can do this, I have value, look at me. Oh, that's the next one, self-exaltation. Look at me. Pride aims us in this direction. It's always filtering all of this in the wrong direction. Now, pride can um, come in many different looks. We sometimes think, oh, that poor person. But watch out. Pride is not always overt. It's not always obvious. The Pharisee story, it's pretty obvious. It's pretty overt. It's pretty out there. It's all to see. Okay, but a lot of times for us, it really is not as overt. It's covert. It's not obvious. We are making up for the fact that we're, we're not quite sure we live up to feel good about or can get approval from God, and so we overcompensate, trying to earn that approval, get approval from people, and we have the same same kind of approach. And so, whether it's overt or covert, you see behavior like this. Comparison. We saw the comparison to the Pharisee. But in covert pride, you have comparison too. Maybe you've seen comparison that goes a little bit like this. Wow! Did you see little Johnny? Like, he was totally out of control. You're on your way home from being with somebody else. You're talking over your spouse. You, you'd never say this out loud to everybody. You just say it to your spouse. You go, man, if they don't do something about this quick, he's going he's gonna to end up in jail when he's older. Okay, now, was that overt pride or covert pride? We don't really know. 
not on the surface. It could be overt. We do such an awesome job at parenting. We're so much better than them. Comparison, comparison, comparison. Look at our kids behave us. That could be overt or could be covert. I feel so inadequate. I, sometimes I don't know if we're ever going to get this right. But man, when I compare with them, we're doing okay. That's a covert kind of pride. And it's covert in that even though you're trying to measure up and you don't feel like you're doing a great job, you do the comparison thing to puff yourself up to feel like, okay, I'm, I'm better than them. But the problem is, in both cases, it's self-focused, self-centered. And it ends up with this comparison or how about this one, fault-finding? Oh, man, <laughs> they're way messed up. Or you can do it about people, or you can do it about whole systems. This, this whole organization's got this problem, this problem, this problem. I see this all the time. It's like, whoa, if they just fix that. Okay, now is that overt pride or is it covert pride? We can't really tell by the statements. We can only know what's going on inside. Covert pride says, I really can't really deal with my own messes very well, and I've got them. It's a lot easier to focus on somebody else's messes and point them out. I'm pretty good at that. I'm really not so good at focusing on my own messes because I can't seem to figure out how to do anything about those. But if I can show other people's messes and point out what they can do, that's a covert kind of pride in operation. Overt pride means, oh, I got this. I got this, right? Now, what is reverse pride? Reverse pride is the person that goes, I'm no good. I'm... Awful. I, I'm never going to make it. I'm horrible. I'm just like, I'm barely even worth anything. I'm barely worth the time. It sounds like pity. It sounds like humility, humility, but really what's causing it is pride. It's a whole self-centered focus. It's all about me. It's all about where I'm at, and I can't see through any filter except my filter, me, me, me. And you're projecting all this stuff to get sympathy, get attention, get whatever, to sort of have people pull you up from what you're feeling. And again, it's reversed, but it's pride. And pride aims for self-sufficiency, self-importance, self-exaltation. So there's many kinds of pride. Point number one. You guys are waiting for one, right? When we are full of ourselves, there's no room for God. When you're totally so full of yourself, so self-focused, you're not focused on God. There's a problem there. Now, having said that, let's shift gears from the culturally good guy, the Pharisee, and yet there's a problem there. In comparison, take a look at the tax collector who came to the same place and came to pray, and here's what we read. But the tax collector, this is Luke 18, 13, stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. It's a very short prayer. Now, what this tax collector knows about himself is that he can't fix himself. He understands his own conscience and he understands God's law. 
He grew up with it. And he hasn't flipped it. He hasn't flipped it like, I'm achieving this law. I'm doing good with this law. He knows he falls short of this law. Paul says the whole role of the law, the whole purpose, the entire purpose of the law is to be a tutor to teach you that you can't fix yourself. It's a tutor to teach you that you cannot measure up and achieve this law. The Pharisees fooled themselves by their pride to think they achieved wholeness by perfect obedience to the law. Now, granted, the law had based in it the old way of atoning for your sin, and they were meticulous about making sure they did the rituals to make sure they're atoned for, so they thought they were following the law to the T in perfection. And so they thought they had achieved it. The tax collector, in reading the law and understanding the law, understands that the law would say something like this. Okay, when you've done people wrong like this, you need to pay them back what you've wronged them and then put 20% over that. Now, his entire livelihood for his entire career was ripping people off. And if he repaid everything back and tried to repay 20% back, it's already beyond the, poise, the point of possibility. It's impossible for him to fix it. And he knows it. And so he feels so guilty, he doesn't know what to do except pray this prayer. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Have you ever come to the place where you recognize, I can't fix this? Because if you haven't, watch out. You have spiritual pride. The reality of what God teaches us is that if we understand his moral law well, we all arrive at the same place that says, I can't fix this. I am a mess. And by myself, I cannot make it right before God. And the only prayer that works is this one. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. If you've never arrived at that place, I'm telling you, you need to. You need to see yourself rightly because the filter has been flipped and you're looking at all the goodness of God and flipping it around to think that you are able to offer all this goodness back to him and you feel like you're a good catch and it's all by comparison and fault finding and getting self-attention and it's spiritual pride and it's dangerous. Here's what Jesus says when he finishes. Next verse. I tell you, this man, the tax collector, this man, rather than the other, rather than the good guy, the hero in your eyes, the one that's done so much for the nation, the, this man, the tax collector, went home justified before God. He was made right with God because of this prayer. And the other guy who prayed, he was not made right with God. God didn't even bother listening. He was so full of himself, it was not a prayer. It was a prayer to himself. It was not a plea for mercy. It was saying, look at me. I've done it. And God says, oh, look again. Look in the mirror. You're a mess, and you think you're God's gift to humanity. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. 
In Acts chapter 11, verse 24, we read, He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And a great number of people were brought to the Lord. So there's actually a third balloon by comparison. And this is such a parable. First, something has to happen before the third balloon can even be filled. Something has to happen first. The Lord Jesus Christ has to offer himself as a sacrifice so that the atonement becomes real, not just in picture form, but real and actually atones for our sins. Something has to happen so that the Holy Spirit can be really released so that we can truly be filled with the Spirit of God. And Jesus did that on the cross. And then, when we connect with the Lord Jesus Christ and what he's done on the cross, we, and the person helping you knows what they're doing. Oh, I pulled the one with the hole. Hmm. Now, Jesus actually patches that hole. <laughs> I, I don't have the magic right now to pull that off with that balloon. There's the third alternative. Let's go back to that verse that we just read. The one before this one. Would you read the last sentence with me out loud? Ready? For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be what? Ready? Now, let's see if anybody in second service sees that before the time. Be exalted. We cannot exalt ourselves. We must be filled with the Holy Spirit. That only can happen when we connect with the Lord Jesus Christ. It only happens when it's a gift. We receive it. Let's move on. Fill in the two blanks rapidly. Before we do, it is God's job to exalt you, your job to humble yourself. If you try to do God's job, God will do yours. June Hunt. Point number two. When we empty ourselves, we are in perfect position to be filled by God's grace. Now, some of you may have come feeling deflated, feeling like you got a hole, feeling like you're talking about me, I can't fix myself. The good news is that's a great place to be. Confess it. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Point number three. When we empty ourselves, we are in the perfect position to be used by God. If we're full of ourselves, there's no room for the Spirit of God to operate through us. Who gets the glory? We're celebrating me, celebrating me, celebrating me. We've got to shift that. Empty ourselves, confess. How do we be used by God? God gave us a bunch of disciplines. Confession is a good one to humble yourself. Worship is a good one to humble yourself. Serving is a good one to humble yourself. And there's a whole list of other disciplines that we're supposed to train ourselves in that cause us to empty ourselves and humble ourselves and fix our focus on him. Here's the prayer we're finishing with today. Stand with me. If you want to humble yourself, this is what the prayer will do. If you want to ask God to fill you, this is what the prayer is aiming for. Would you declare this with me out loud? Ready? Dear God, I declare that I can't fix it by myself. I need you. Sometimes I'm too full of myself. I don't want to be puffed up. 
I want to be lifted up by you. I want to stop living like life is all about me. It's all about you. Please fill me with your spirit and your grace. Help me to live for you, your glory, and your honor. I worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. Simple, simple truths, but profound to get a hold of and settle in and shape the direction of your heart. So don't just let that one go and say, oh, that was a good one. Go to prayer. Empty yourself. Confess. Worship. Serve. Keep this cycle going where you empty yourself. Fill yourself up with him. It's all about celebrating God. Keep that your focus, receive, 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 and God will just begin to change. Light displaces darkness. God bless you for coming, and I hope you'll be back next week. We start a whole new series. This is the time. This is the time to do the things that God is calling you to do. I hope you come back and hear more about that. Today, if you need prayer, we've got a prayer team to the right. About any prayer requests you have, you're feeling heavy, just go get prayer. Thank you for coming. See you next week.